0: Like a boil that must be opened with all its ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light, injustice must be exposed to the light of human conscience before it can be cured. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices
1: you
2: have organizations out there like the center for bioethical reform the center for bioethical reform canadian center for bioethical reform organizations like the center for
1: bioethical reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose
2: abortion kills all kinds of people so then all kinds
3: of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto.
1: I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion.
3: Today we are doing Choice Chain in downtown Regina. By
0: the end of the conversation she was completely pro-life.
3: He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely
0: pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not
3: only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Pro Life Guys. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Those opening words are the words of Martin Luther King Jr., highlighting what must be done in the face of injustice. And as you know, we are facing a massive injustice today, which is the slaughter of preborn children. Again, thank you so much for joining. My name is Peter Boss, the host of the show. And once again, I'm joined by my main man, Cameron Cote, the co host. Cam, welcome back. Thank you, Peter.
2: Good to be back. Good to be back with you. Good to be back with our new guest. Um, It was funny after the last episode where we talked to Jonathan Van Maren how he he gave both of us a hard time for giving him a hard time about how old and experienced he is and just he felt like he was gathering a a bunch of children around a campfire or something like that. So it's good to be back with you and it's good to be kind of in some ways on in some ways, on the other end of the spectrum with somebody who's a little bit newer to CCBR. But as, as we're soon going to find out, she's got a ton of experience, a ton of knowledge and insight to give to the audience. So it's good to be back. Good to have another guest on the show today as well.
0: That's right. And our guest today is none other than Vanessa Otten, currently working for CCBR on the streets every single day, almost every single day, talking to people about abortion, seeing people's minds changed on the issue of abortion. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining the program.
1: Oh, glad to be here.
0: First off, Vanessa, how about you share with us a little bit about how you got involved in the movement, how you learned about CCBR, and when it was that you started doing activism?
1: So Jonathan Maron, um, actually who was on the last podcast, came to my high school and gave a presentation, which really stuck with me. And he was trying to recruit people for postcarding. So I joined them um, at the age of 14 and we did a postcarding shift in St. Catharines, Ontario and went very well. And then I pondered the idea of joining the local group. Um, And it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I joined um, and started working like um, more regular as a volunteer for them. So two nights a week, we'd go out on the streets and do activism. And eventually, yeah, I led the group. And then started working for CCBR.
0: Cam, just a question for you. What were you doing when you were 14 years old? Were you doing activism or or fighting abortion in any way?
2: Oh, man. When I was 14, I was doing nothing of the sort. When I was 14, 14, what I would have been in like grade nine or something, I basically all I cared about was sports. That's all I cared about playing high level baseball, playing high level soccer. It it was funny. So grade nine, grade 10, actually, my buddy Drew and I, we ran for for student council. And for some reason, we decided that we were going to run for presidency. And as the election got closer and closer, I was hoping and praying that we weren't going to win because I soon realized that I I literally didn't care about anything else that was going on in school um, except for the sports that were going on. So uh, we, we thankfully lost when I was in grade 10, grade 11, I ran for sports rep, um, and, and I covered what I cared about, but I was definitely not doing anything meaningful with regards to pro-life or any other, um, important topic on the go. What about you? <laughs> Were you doing pro-life activism at 14?
0: Oh man, I am totally in the same boat as you. That was the last thing on my mind. I didn't even know if I had conversations about abortion at 14, but, um, yeah, a lot of sports. I love sports, uh i almost said uh, as much as you, you love sports a lot. Um, but yeah, to- totally not involved in anything of, of seriousness at all. So kudos to you, Vanessa, for being part of the change when you were 14 years old. Well, and, and the crazy thing, Vanessa, you're huge into sports too, right? Like, it's not like
2: you were some like super, I don't know. I mean, you you were obviously a go-getter while you are doing um, your pro-life activism, but like you're a sports person too, right? Like this this wasn't a matter of, you decided to reject all things that were fun and enjoyable for the, the sacrifice of doing pro-life outreach, right? Like you were still doing normal stuff as a 14 year old, as a a teenager, right?
1: Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's
2: all we're going to get. Holy cow. No, no sports (laughs) stories, no trophies, no nothing. Wow. Vanessa. Uh,
1: Okay. Okay. Fine. Yes. I loved soccer. Um, was, was big and passionate about soccer. (laughs) Yeah. That was until I tore my ACL and that was the end of that for me.
0: Nice. So you started, you got involved with the local group. You did some postcarding. Now, while you were doing postcarding, you were using the images, um, abortion victim photography. Last episode, Jonathan talked a lot about abortion victim photography and defended it as one of the most important and powerful tools that we have in the fight against abortion. Now, at 14, uh, I know what I would have thought uh, going door to door and talking to people about abortion with abortion victim photography when I was at that, that age. But why was it that you uh, felt attracted to use abortion victim photography and why do you continue to use it today all these years later?
1: Good question. Um, the presentation that Jonathan gave really convinced me on why we use what was what is the most effective way to fight abortion, why we display victim um the victims of abortion to the public openly, um, so that people can see what is going on and react accordingly. Um I continue to use it like every single day now, um, because I see how effective it is in changing people's minds. Like I watch people like a high school student I was talking to recently just like look at the image and are like, Are you serious? This is a real image of an abortion? Uh yes, like this is a ten week abortion. Um and change their mind on the spot saying like, okay, abortion is not okay. If that's what abortion looks like, I do not support abortion. Um, so just seeing it like again and again, there's so many stories. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And, and I, I'll never forget a conversation that I had down in Florida. So uh, we've mentioned a few times already our AAP abortion awareness projects that we do. And I remember one of the first conversations that really showed to me the, the importance, the power of images. Um, so sometimes these, these abortion awareness displays, we set up these huge displays and, and pro-lifers just kind of mill around having conversations. And sometimes you, you stop to talk to somebody and they say, oh, I'm on my way to class. And so this guy told me that he was on his way to class. And so I walked with him all the way to his class across campus in this random Florida university that I'd never been to before. And I started ambling my way back to the display. Um, thankfully, my father is a an avid hiker and camper and taught me how to discern directions just by looking at... Um, The stars and the clouds and the sun and whatnot. Just kidding. The the clouds don't really help you generally for for directions. But I was making my way back to the display. I knew that I was close and I started up another conversation with a guy. And we talked for like 45 minutes. We're probably like, I don't know, maybe 200 meters away from the display. Couldn't quite see it. And and I thought that I was having a really good conversation with this guy and, and really showing a lot of the humanity of the preborn, like we covered in episode two, really talking about how terrible of an injustice this really was. And, and it just wasn't resonating with him. And, and I, I thought finally, after 45 minutes, I can't believe I didn't think of it sooner, but I was like, hey, can you come and take a walk with me? And he was like, yeah, for sure. Whatever. I, I don't have class right now. Let's go for a walk. Um, not in like a super weird kind of way, but like in a normal kind of way. And I, we walked over towards the display. And these displays, they're, they're tall signs which show the reality, like Vanessa said, the reality of what abortion does to a preborn child. And I, I was talking to him and I was walking beside the display. And I realized that, that the guy wasn't standing beside me anymore. And and I I turn and I look back and try to see where he where he'd gone. Like, did the guy just like make a mad dash away from me? Was I coming across too much like a, a telemarketer or something? Or the what what was going on? And and I saw him like I don't know maybe two three steps behind me and just staring at the images, just like mouth a little bit open, just like gawking at the images. I shared this story in brief last week as well, and and this guy was just looking at them. And and I just asked him, how are we doing? And, and he looked at me and he said, why didn't you just say that? Why didn't you just say that abortion was wrong? And I said, dude, we've been talking for 45 minutes. I've, I've said that like 50 times. And he was like, well, these images, like whole nother level. Abortion's terrible. And, and for me, that really just sealed the deal for how important these images are, because I mean, to use the, the age-old cliche, a, a picture tells a thousand words, right? And, and it really cuts us to the core when we realize that is a tiny human being, defenseless in every way, and they were ripped limb from limb for what may have been a really difficult circumstance. But when would we ever kill such a weak and vulnerable child after they were born? And and it just like pierced through the cloud of rhetoric that this guy had been shouting for, not shouting, we were having a good conversation, but this guy had been kind of
0: using over and over again for 45 minutes, just cut through everything. So, And that's an experience that a lot of people that attend AAP have. Uh, many people who do attend, it's their first time doing activism, or they haven't done a lot of activism, uh, or any sort of uh, anti-abortion outreach. They get on campus, they have you know the, the apologetics, they've received their day of training, and they go out ready to talk to people and a lot of time what what often changes their mind is them looking at the images looking at precisely what it is that they're supporting the images of the broken preborn children the dead preborn children i remember a conversation i had at a high school very similar i think all of us uh, have many conversations all of us at ccbr have have many conversations and examples of this but i was talking to two students in particular and The one was talking mostly he was having uh, he had all the justifications for abortion. He was sharing the circumstances why he think abortion should be made, you know, should be legal, should be allowed. And his buddy just kept looking at the sign and nudging him and be like, yeah, but, you know, you're doing that to a baby. Like, that's what you're supporting. And his friend would give another justification. He'd knock him and say, but like, is that actually okay to kill a baby? As you see in this picture. And I didn't have to have a conversation with the other guy. He 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 saw what abortion did. He he. Wasn't held down by the rhetoric either, and he was actually used to change his friend's mind. Uh, his friend changed his mind because you know that that guy kept nudging him and saying, "This is what's happening. This this is this is what you're looking at. This is what you're trying to defend." The very thing. Uh, the very picture in front of you.
2: Yeah, and and one thing that Jonathan talked about last week that I, um, Vanessa, I'd be interested in in your take if if you've seen this live on the street. Um, but Jonathan talked about last week how the polling that we've done, especially the polling that we did in 2015, actually polled people six months after um, they had received one of our postcards showing the reality of what abortion does, and those people. We're still deeply impacted by the image, still swayed towards the pro-life worldview. And in a lot of ways, the images stick with people, right? Like like whether they remember the exact wording or phrasing of the arguments that we make. I I know that as pro-lifers, we spend so much time often perfecting our eloquence and perfecting our delivery of the pro-life message and how we speak, and yet realizing just how powerful and how deeply resonating, how long
0: they stick with people it is incredible. I actually remember a few years ago at a high school. Now, it's not often when we're in downtown Toronto or or in the gener- the greater Toronto area that we meet the same people regularly. But I remember during an internship, we went back to the same high school three or four weeks later, and it was an extremely liberal high school. We got a lot of hate. Uh, people just completely hated what we were doing at the school, showing them the reality of abortion. And one of the interns was having a conversation and the guy didn't change his mind at all, and, and they left. And three or four weeks later, our teams went back, and um, the, the one one of the same one of the same interns was there as well, same school. Uh, and then this this guy walked up and said, "Hey, do you remember me?" And she's like, "Yeah, I totally remember you." Uh, and he's like, yeah, "I didn't change my mind last time we had a conversation." She's like, "Yeah, no, I remember that." And he said, "But I I, I couldn't stop thinking about what I had seen." And I just wanted, I just came here to let you know that I'm pro-life now, like I can't support abortion. And so this was a great example of having a conversation with someone, showing someone the images and them walking away still pro-choice. But the, the conversation and most importantly, the image of the pre-born child that was aborted stuck with that person, uh, stuck in his mind. And several weeks later, he came back and said, you know, I can't support this anymore.
2: Yeah, and and one story that I'll never forget, and, and we showed a lot of the presentations that we give. We, it, the video file is called Julie's Story. Julie's a girl that we met down in Florida um, back several years ago now. Um, but when we first met her, she was actually one of the protesters. She had actually come out with a sign, and and she character, characterized herself as a heavy debater. She was one of the people who came out and really try to ridicule us into leaving campus. Like she was so adamantly supportive of abortion and so in in some ways derogatory towards our team members and and just accusing us of having terrible arguments and and like, oh, we need to prop our arguments up with these gory images to to be able to to make our point or something like that. And we met her again the next year. And she wasn't protesting anymore she had actually become pro-life and she shared her story with us. And, and I, I hope that we'll be able to find the link to Julie's story. And she shares how after the display, after protesting us for several days, she went home and she realized that she had to find the truth out for herself. And so she Googled an abortion video and she watched that video of a child literally being ripped apart in, um, out of their mother's womb and everything changed for her. She could no longer support that. This is somebody who was like, involved with the, the pro-choice club on campus, active in protesting pro-life initiatives. Seeing that reality so radically transformed her mind that um, she came out and she thanked us for being there. And she encouraged her, her um, classmates and her friends and other people to come by the display because this wasn't a display of weakness that we... We needed these this, um, images because our argument was so weak. But rather, these images encapsulate the argument
0: itself. It really shows everything, and that's one of the power one of the the, the powerful things about the images is that you know the arguments might leave. I, I mean, I, I forget arguments all the time. I, I listen to debates and and different podcasts, and and sometimes I forget the argumentation, but the images, that's what stays. I mean, that that just gets stuck in your memory and we see that time and time again. Now, one of the things, we, we keep talking about the different projects. We've mentioned Postcarding Project. We've mentioned Choice Chain, I'm sure. Vanessa, uh, could you share with us a little bit about these projects? So each of these projects, we using abortion awareness, uh, ab- abortion victim photography, but in different ways. So could you share a little bit about the projects that we at CCBR do?
1: Yes. So in our postcards, we um, have images on the outside of pre-born children- um, who are not aborted. And on the inside, when they open it, there's images of an eight-week and a 20-week um, aborted child. And so um, this project has the the goal of um, reaching entire neighborhoods with the images of abortion and the pro-life arguments and the logic is on the back of the postcard as well. Um, so we go out with teams and we we go through neighborhoods delivering these and then, for choice chain, we use the images on large signs by the road and uh ask people what their thoughts are and point down to the image and like, what do you think about abortion um having conversations as well as like reaching all the vehicle traffic that's driving by near the intersection um and basically, it's like spreading awareness at a larger scale
2: yeah i I remember, so back when I was an intern in, in 2012, um, just, just to give a little bit of context as to how we've developed some of these projects, um, when I was an intern in 2012, we really only had the one project starting out with. It was the first year that we had ever launched the postcards. We, as Jonathan shared in episode um, three, we were, we were really experimenting. We had so many different designs that we were starting to, to put out there. And, and in many ways, like Vanessa said, Choice Chain is the core project, balancing the display of the images, engaging public as they're walking by, as they're driving by, that sort of thing, showing them the reality and the conversations to help form them and solidify that pro-life worldview in their mind, to help them reject the pro-abortion worldview. And, and in many ways, I guess, postcarding, as you can see, is, is in some ways taken for granted by newer team members. But we realized back in 2012 that we just weren't reaching everybody with choice Chain. Right, that, that not everybody goes to busy metropolitan hubs. Not everybody attends a public university or college. Not everybody attends a senior high school. Right? And, and if we're going to end abortion in Canada, we desperately need to engage every single mature Canadian in these conversa- conversations and show the truth about abortion to each and every one of them. And so one other project that I, I think of that is a relatively new one is door-knocking. Door knocking is something that we implement in communities as- across Canada, especially smaller communities where we have that opportunity to really engage more and more people on their doorsteps and conversations using the postcards that Vanessa described. But having those conversations and approaching people where they're most comfortable and they're able to have a, a short, maybe even a long conversation with our team. I want to give a shout out to uh, our team actually in Thunder Bay, because we got a team of volunteers in Thunder Bay, Ontario that just recently started door knocking in their community, engaging people, house by house, neighborhood by neighborhood, conversations about abortion, showing them the reality of what's going on. I think it's incredible. Peter, I'm curious. So you, you've been doing activism for quite a while now. What's your favorite project? You've done Choice Chain, you've done Vehicle Choice Chain or Banner Project, something that we didn't actually explain. So if if that's your favorite, maybe share about that. You've done door knocking, you've done postcarding.
0: I think you've even driven our, our truth truck. What's your favorite project? It, it probably depends on what day you ask me. Uh, my favorite favorite would probably be postcarding. Um, I, I like having conversations, but going door to door, dropping postcard after postcard after postcard. There There are some... Uh, postcarding shifts, they will be three or four hours long where you get, you and your team get over a thousand postcards out. And you know that at least 1000 people that morning have seen what abortion does to preborn children. And, and you know that, you know, when you're doing choice chain as well. Um, but just the, the feeling of going out and, uh, getting that exercise. Um, but I also like the abortion awareness project. I mean, we often call the abortion awareness project choice chain on steroids, you know, we're using the signs, but we're using way bigger signs than we're using in a downtown intersection. And I like it for the reason that we've talked about earlier is that we, we are showing so many images of what abortion does. And, and you see people change their mind. You have conversations in front of these larger than life displays, and people actually are changing their minds because they're seeing these images.
2: Just as a disclaimer, just because it's on steroids doesn't mean that we put an asterisk beside test testimonies that come out of those conversations. This isn't, we're not worried about Barry Bonds kind of doping. If, if you're getting testimonies at abortion awareness project, like those are completely legit testimonies just for the record. Vanessa, what's your favorite project?
1: Oh, my definite favorite is choice chain. Love having conversations with people about abortion. Um, yeah, I, I love postcarding like Peter. um, But I like super love Choice Chain. Um, And I always find it really exciting to like have like tons and tons of conversations. There are days where you come back from having these conversations and there's like five, six, seven testimonies. And you're like, that was so cool. Like that many people are changing their mind as well as so many people who walk by. You can like see it on their faces that they're reacting to the images.
0: How about yourself, Cam? What's your favorite project? You've been doing this for a decade now. Oh, man. What's, What's the one that you love doing the most?
2: That is a fantastic question. I, I gotta be honest, I'm gonna go with Choice Chain as well. I, I love postcarding. Um, it, it's probably the main form of exercise that I have. Um, when I when I left university and I took on a real job and didn't have time during the day to go for like half marathon runs just because I was bored, um, postcarding is how I stay in shape. And so I love it. And I love it for the same reason that you said, Peter, not only do you know that a thousand people saw the images, but you know exactly which thousand people, right? And if we're gonna blanket all of Canada, it, it's so valuable to know which thousand people have seen the images and who we're aiming to, to reach next. But like Vanessa said, like I, you just can't beat the, the instant gratification. Call me a product of the times, call me a yuppie or a whatever. Um, I love seeing people change their mind on abortion. And I know from the statistics that Jonathan shared last week that that's happening through our postcarding project. And yet it's so amazing to watch in in some ways, like the scales fall from people's eyes as they realize, like, oh my goodness, I have supported this for too long. I can't do this anymore. These pro-lifers have a legit uh, worldview, a sound, logical worldview, and and it, it's just amazing to see how the images combined with some very very accessible, very simple argumentation can really draw people out of this destructive worldview right like like abortion not only kills that child violently ends their life this this hurts so many other people and and just seeing people step out of the darkness and into the light of like you know what there's so much more there's so much more people are valuable and and honestly you see that first domino fall over and you see all the other dominoes fall over and so i i can't um talk up enough how incredible choice chain is it's intimidating To be fair, Um, Vanessa, I don't know about you, but my first choice chain was intimidating. I I still actually remember my first choice chain. It was in Courtney Comox of all places. Jojo Ruba, former founder of, not former founder, he's still a founder of CCBR, um, um, came, did a presentation in Victoria, did a presentation up in Courtney Comox, and I did my first choice chain. And it was such a weird experience because the guy that I ended up talking to was like fairly intoxicated the entire time. Um, and he he had like short-term memory loss. And so I would make this argument after my training workshop and be like, oh my goodness, that was not what I wanted to say. And then we talked for five minutes and then he'd ask me the exact same question, and I was able to just respond better and better and better. Like it, it was, I don't know if I changed the guy's mind because I don't know if he remembered anything that came out of that conversation, but it was a great training ground for me in getting used to verbalizing these arguments that had been shared while also knowing that all the people that were walking
0: by were being impacted by the images. Oh man, I remember my first choice, Shane, in 2014. I was so nervous. I, uh, I went to the washroom about 15 minutes in and I took the longest route I could possibly take and walked the slowest I'd ever walked to get there. And then <laughs> took my time and walked as, slowly, as slow as possible back just because I was so nervous of going back out there and talking to people.
1: Same here. Definitely. Um, We went downtown Hamilton and I was very terrified and was like, please, nobody talk to me. Please, nobody talk to me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Things have definitely improved since then.
0: Yeah, it's a real thing. Um, And I think a lot of times people look at uh, activists and people who have been doing this for a long time and say, oh, man, like they are so bold and courageous. I could never do something like that. But the true story is we're all nervous. We all have our days. We there are always days uh, that we really don't want to go out. And yet when we do, um, we see people change their mind. We, we hear of other people change their mind and, and we're often encouraged by going out when we do actually go out. Kim, you mentioned uh, about the, the philosophical and really sound foundation that we have. And, and I, I think we should talk about that a little bit, shift, uh, shift gears. On episode two, we had a conversation, a great conversation, by the way. If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode number two, we talk about the key question of the abortion debate, which is who are the preborn. Uh, and once we know who the preborn are, we have to ask, what does abortion do to them? And those are those are conversations we have when we're on the street. So let's talk a little bit about the conversations that we have. Vanessa, Vanessa, could you share with us what are some common things that people bring up right right off the bat? Uh, you ask them what they think about abortion. What are some of the first things that they say?
1: Mm, believing in a woman's choice. So, like, I had two girls who I was talking to just this week who were like. Um, <laughs> I believe that women should have choices um, and people bring up things like sexual assault a lot, um, things that hard, a lot of hard circumstances like poverty, um, age, like teen pregnancy. I guess those are some of the most common ones. Uh, childhood is a disability.
0: Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of circumstances, people, you know, we want to have the conversation around who the preborn are and what abortion does to them. But the people we're talking to are thinking about the difficult circumstances, circumstances that we can't take lightly because there are people who are facing extremely difficult circumstances, some which we we might know of a little bit and some which we've never experienced before. Now, I, I just have a question for you, Cam. What happens when we start a conversation talking about the humanity of the preborn when the person we're talking to is, is totally not there? And it seems like we're on totally different wavelengths.
2: Yeah. This is one of two major mistakes that pro-lifers make as they start engaging people in conversations about abortion. If, if we understand that we need to focus on the humanity of the pre-born and we resolutely focus on that with never, without ever engaging with the circumstances that people are talking to, we're often talking right past each other right? And and we're, we, we've talked on several occasions already about how we're not out here to win arguments, we're out here to win people. And so if we're talking past somebody, if they're talking about a hard circumstance that a mother, maybe even themselves, maybe it could have been their friend, maybe it could be themselves experienced when faced with a challenging pregnancy. And all we do is sermonize about the, the truth, it, it's accurate statements about the biology of the pre-born without having met them where they're at, we're probably not going to have a productive conversation at all. And so what we need to do is meet them where they're at and walk towards a conversation about the humanity of the preborn. And I say that because that's the second mistake that too many pro-life advocates make. They focus exclusively on the circumstances. They say, I want to meet this person where they're at, and I love solving problems. I love fixing things. And so they'll say, you know what, let's, they'll, they'll spend half an hour talking about all the ways that we need to reform our, our social services in Canada, and, and how we need to redirect money in this direction and that direction, which may be the case. But at the end of the day, the way pro-lifers lose The way we don't transform our culture is if we can't convince people that all humans should get human rights. Because we've been working very hard for a very long time to end poverty. And we've taken some incredible steps towards ending poverty, but we're not there yet. And as many of us know, the poor will always be with us. And we need to continue doing more and more to alleviate the suffering that is ongoing. And yet, If we focus exclusively on solving individual problems, then we are never actually going to address the problem of abortion. So what we want to do is we want to meet people where they're at and then walk towards a conversation about the humanity of the pre-born.
0: How would you you suggest we do that then? Like what are some tools that we can use? Boom. Glad you asked. So three tools that I want to suggest are drawn from Incredible
2: pro-life leader, Greg Kochel from Stand to Reason in the States, is a great guy, great book called Tactics, which we'll link in the description. Um, and he outlines three, three tools or three tactics, as it were, common ground, analogy, and question. And so common ground is super important for the reason that, how many people like losing at anything? You've already heard that the three of us, me, Vanessa, Peter, we're we're wildly competitive. We're we're sports people. We're competitive. I'm sure it goes beyond sports, board games, arguments, all that sort of thing. We don't like losing. And so when we approach a competition that we don't think that we can win, we're probably going to do one of two things. We're probably either going to avoid it or we're going to throw out these heinous barbs to try to attack the other person so deeply that they walk away from the competition. That's why we see so many ad hominem attacks come out in the abortion conversation, people trying to end the conversation even before it starts. And so by building common ground, by saying, hey, you know what? You and I agree that raising a child while living in poverty, not knowing how we're going to put food on our table for ourselves, let alone for our, our newborn child, that'd be incredibly difficult. Boom. Well, and now I've just shown that I actually have a heart. I'm not only focused on the fact that a preborn child has a heart, I, I have a heart too. And I'll get Vanessa to, in just a moment to share a little bit more about the common ground that we can build on circumstances, but I'll share about the other two strategies. Number two is analogies. And the reason why analogies and stories are so important is because for the vast majority of Canadians, we've never really met preborn children. Right? It's not like we, we in, encounter um, human embryos, human fetuses, human zygotes on a daily basis and shake their hands and interact with them because they are hidden from the eyes of the general public. It's a lot easier to not only make abstract sweeping statements about them, but it's a lot easier to dehumanize them. This is something that has happened in literally every single injustice throughout history. It's a, a dehumanization of the victim. And so by making an analogy, by demonstrating a principle using somebody that they are familiar with, a, a strategy we call trotting out the toddler, we are able to demonstrate a principle that they can relate to and then apply it directly to a preborn child. The third one that I'll mention before Vanessa goes into how this actually gets rolled out on the street is questions. Questions are absolutely vital for the pro-life conversation for a ton of reasons, but in in many ways, I I think that it can be summarized in, first of all, the fact that it shows a genuine interest in the person that you're interacting with. This isn't just hearing for the sake of responding, but rather listening for the sake of understanding. And not only that, but it also allows us to help people come to their own conclusion. Certainly, there's a lot of people out there that... are are striving to adhere to an authority figure, whether that's religious authority, whether that's some other form of authority. And yet we can all not only see in our own lives, but also recognize around us that, um, that we often look at ourselves as the ultimate authority. That unless we know how we came to a conclusion, we're probably not likely going to accept the conclusion. And so, and and just think about that in your own life, right? Like, if if you walk by some rando on the street and they say, "Oh, well, you should believe X," and you've never heard of X issue before, and you have no reason to trust that person, you're probably going to say, "Like, no, no, I'm not going to believe that." You're you're going to do a bunch of background. If if somebody like me, some guy that you've listened to three, hopefully three already um, podcast episodes um, of, can share something, you, you might want to fact check it just to make sure that, that it's okay. But at the end of the day, unless you yourself come to the conclusion, you're probably not going to embrace it wholeheartedly. And so by asking a question, we can draw people to come to their own conclusions, rather than presenting them ourselves. And so common ground, analogy, and question are super, super vital. And it's theory that can be applied to
0: almost every single conversation. Wow. Okay. So, common ground analogy question. These are the tools you use in the streets. Vanessa, could you share when you're having a conversation with someone and they bring up a difficult circumstance? How do? You, how would you, practically speaking, use common ground analogy question in these conversations?
1: So, common ground, um, as Cam was mentioning, it's actually very simple because difficult situations are difficult situations. So we can agree and. Um, A guy who I was talking to last week um, kept bringing up disabilities. And he's like, but what if you find out your child has a serious disability? So I first of all made common ground. I said, okay, I think I totally agree. That would be scary finding out you're pregnant and your child has a disability. And you have no idea how this is going to all impact your life. Um, You're definitely right that that is scary. And then I moved on to analogy. um, And I was like, hey, can I give you a quick analogy for a second? Let's say it wasn't that when you're pregnant that you found out that there was a disability, but right when the child was born, you know how some people don't find out that their child has a disability of some sort sort, until the child's born. Um, what What if that's the moment where you find out there's a disability? Would you be okay with, at that point, making the decision to like, hey, no, 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 I can't do this even out of mercy for the child. I think we're not gonna keep this child alive. Is that okay to end the child's life when they're born? He's like, no, of course not. Said, okay, I absolutely agree. And then I asked the question. I was like, okay, so if it's not okay to ever, like there's not a situation where you think it's okay to kill a born child with a disability, why should we, or even should we, be able to kill the same kid before she's born for the exact same reason? And he's like, wow that actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, so making common ground, like showing him that I actually heard him and like understood what he was saying about the scenario and how it is hard. And then we went through the analogy and his brain was able to process that. Actually, yeah, we don't kill children for that reason. And then brought it back and connected it with abortion. Um, definitely made sense to him. And he changed his mind on abortion because his difficult situation didn't justify killing a child's life.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a great example of recognizing the situation that they're bringing up recognizing that they may have experienced uh, something like this or or faced the difficult circumstance like this but then a real good example of showing them that you know in all other areas of life we don't kill people for this reason so asking that simple question uh why do you think it's okay to you know to not kill someone in this situation uh when they're at this age but to end the life of the very same person for the very same reason a little bit before. That that's a great way to do it.
1: And often what I what I will throw in is, "Hey, all I changed in this equation is the child's age." I'm um, just pointing it out, super simple. I said, "I'm giving you the exact same scenario. All I'm switching is the age."
2: Exactly. And and so I I remember when I first got involved, we talked a lot about SLED, this acronym of size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. And and a lot of our conversations pivoted around SLED. But Vanessa, I, I know that of recent years, we've been relying more and more on exactly what you said of that age based discrimination. And, and I was wondering if, if you could illuminate a little bit more on that notion of like how our conversations kind of pivot around the age of the child, I guess.
1: So the things brought up in SLED are all age things. So to keep it super simple, I'm just like, okay, so you're talking about a younger human being here. I have a question. And I give my my sister as an example. And I'm like, well, my sister, she's way younger, less developed. Or I'll point out a certain factor that I think that they're pretty tied on. Like, let's say the size of the pre-born child. I'll say, well, my sister's smaller than I am. Is she any less human than I am? Well, no. No, she's just a less developed human or a smaller human. Fair? So we really focus on how it's her age. Not like she's younger than I am. So she's she's supposed to be smaller. That's totally okay. Um, We wouldn't expect her to be the same size as I am. So we really keep it simple and point out that that's just age. And if we believe in human rights equally for all humans, you can't let age be a factor where you can end one human being's life um, for a certain reason.
2: Totally. And and just as an aside, something that, that comes up all the time in conversation that gets a little bit humorous on that, the number of times I've been hypothetically killed at a choice chain. With the person standing beside me just being like imagine if somebody came and killed cam for that exact same reason like this is something that happens at activism all the time really good friend of mine cam wilson he works for the Wilberforce force project i'm pretty sure we did a a gap display where we just tallied the number of times we killed each other hypothetically in conversation but it, it shows the point time and again of like this is not about the circumstance like Vanessa said, this is not about whether or not a child has disability, but whether about whether or not a child is too old for us to reasonably kill them. How old is too old to reasonably kill somebody? Any age. That your human rights begin when your human life begins, and so I. Something funny that that sometimes goes on behind the scenes at activism, and and you'll. Don't be offended if you do activism and you hear Vanessa being like, well, imagine if that person over there came and uh, that sort of thing. It's kind of a not a joke that we play behind the scenes, but just a a very useful tool in conversation that you kind of have to have thick skin. Vanessa would never harm a fly, let alone one of her choice chain companions, let alone anybody that she's talking to. And so the hypothetical stories help
0: illuminate um, and, and that's all they're there for. That, that's good. the the trotting out the toddler is one of the most useful analogies that we have, really asking people, you know if we wouldn't end the life of a child for this circumstance before birth or after birth, why should we be allowed to before birth? Vanessa, let's let's walk through it one more time. Have you had conversations where someone said, um, you know, I think abortion should be legal and completely accessible for people who are facing poverty or extreme poverty or, or any sort of impoverished impover- situation.
1: Uh, yes. Okay, one that sticks out in my mind is one guy who was very passionate about it. So I made some common ground, but I mean, to be honest, I didn't do a good job and was just like, yeah, I totally agree with you that poverty is really hard. He could tell I did not mean it. Like I was just going through the words um, and he stopped me and he's like, no, no I don't think you get it. I grew up and there were times where I had no idea where my next meal was coming from. There were days where I went without eating. Like I'm talking about real poverty. And so that just highlights the importance of common ground. And so I backtracked and was like, "Kate, hey, I'm so sorry. You are right. There are some really, really difficult situations and poverty is really hard. Um, and then I even went on to explain that, hey, I've worked in a homeless shelter and seen a lot of like intense poverty that's not like that is really hard for people to live through. So we made some common ground. Um, the analogy, I was like, can you, can I give you a quick analogy? Let's take even your situation. You, he had mentioned that he had a few siblings. It's like, let's take your situation. So your parents are in a really rough spot. They cannot put food on the table at the time. And have no idea where the next meal is coming. Um, what would your thoughts be if they were to say, you know what? Because we can we we are in a really tough spot and we don't know where the next meal is coming from, we need to sacrifice one of our born children and end one of their lives so that there's one less mouth to feed. Would that be okay? He was like, no. No, I guess like sure. No, you cannot kill your born kids, even if you're in a really tough spot like that. Um, I said I, and I agree. Um, and then I said, "Okay, so I think you and I understand that we can't kill born children because of intense poverty. So my question would be: If we can't kill a child who's born, why should we be able to kill the exact same child before she's born for the exact same reason?" And just going through it slowly, and and highlighting that it is the exact same child I'm talking about, and the exact same scenario, uh, made sense to him. So it made sense that situations, even as extreme as intense poverty, um, doesn't justify killing a preborn child.
2: Yeah, and and I think that I mean some of the, some listeners might be thinking, okay, well, maybe poverty isn't the most severe of examples. I, I think Vanessa, that's a fantastic way of navigating that real situation for people. We have to recognize that these are real situations for people. Nobody becomes supportive of abortion because they flipped a coin, right? Like you don't wake up when you're in grade 10 or something, you flip a coin like, oh, oh, I guess I'm pro-abortion now. Um, People have real live circumstances as to why they support abortion. And while I mean, Ben Shapiro, many of you listening are probably familiar with Ben Shapiro, very good speaker, very um, hot takes on a lot of different topics and whatnot. As much as his style of debating abortion may not be exactly the same style as CCBR, I think that he does illuminate a very, very good point. Often he does these debates. I'm sure that you've seen the YouTube clips of him where somebody gets up and asks a question about a very, very heinous circumstance that a mother can be faced with. And what he does, he doesn't try to minimize it. He doesn't try to tackle them individually and make it less than it is. He usually piles on top of it. He usually adds on. Okay, well, let's take your situation and make it even worse. Let's say that this was the girl was even younger and there was incest involved and this and this and this and this. We're still going to find common ground. We're still going to make an analogy we're still gonna ask a question because at the end of the day, when do we kill innocent humans to solve even the most heinous of problems? And so I think Peter, in the future, we're probably gonna dedicate entire episodes to some of the more kind of stereotypical questions. Obviously we're gonna dedicate an episode towards bodily autonomy, but I think we're also gonna be able to dedicate um, sessions towards situations like sexual assault. Situations like health of the mother and the livelihood of the mother. And just because we may not touch on each of those circumstances today, though, if if Vanessa, if you want to touch on another one of those that sticks out in your mind, I'm certainly invited to do so. But know that this isn't simply a strategy for the quote unquote easy circumstances. First of all, there's no such thing as an easy circumstance. Second of all, this does apply time and time again to each and every circumstance that does come up.
0: Yeah, I think it would be good to touch on sexual assault. I mean, uh, that's something that we hear a lot, whether we are talking to someone on the streets who has experienced that or someone who thinks it's the most compassionate, that abortion is the most compassionate response to someone who's experienced sexual assault. Vanessa, when someone brings that up to you, you know, how would you use common ground analogy question? How would you navigate your way through that conversation?
1: So first of all, when people bring up sexual assault, it is super important for us to remember that common ground here is very necessary and not a weak common ground, but like a real genuine common ground that shows that we are human beings who care and that we do agree with them, that there is a massive injustice they're talking about here. A woman has been violated. It is not okay. Um, And so often when I am talking to someone and they bring up sexual assault, I'll take extra time on common ground. And so, for example, um, I had a conversation earlier this week where um, a guy was like, well, the case is sexual assault. Like, I mean, surely you think abortion's okay in that case. I said, okay, well, okay, actually I don't. But here's the thing. I 100% agree with you on how horrific that crime is. I have friends of mine, close friends of mine, who have been sexually assaulted. I a hundred percent agree that there needs to be more justice and more um, more things preventing sexual assault from happening. Our culture needs to change. There are definitely um, more help needs to be offered to these victims. So make some real common ground. Um, and then I said, "Do you mind if I give you an analogy to show why I don't think is still okay in this scenario?" He's like, "Okay, sure." Um, so I said, "Okay, let's imagine. Let's imagine there was a girl, a young girl." Who was sexually assaulted. And for this particular girl. She had a lot of support. And her friends and family were there. And she's like I think I can do this. I think I can go through with this pregnancy. So she did. So she went through the pregnancy. And then when the child was born. Okay so now she had a newborn child in her arms. And when she looked at that child. She could see the face of the rapist. And it was literally traumatizing her. She couldn't handle it. So the guy who I was talking to was like nodding me. He's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. If these people cannot handle the situation. I said, okay, so there's a, there's a woman here who is being traumatized by this newborn child. What if she came to you as her counselor and said, I am getting so traumatized. I cannot handle this. I need to end the life of this newborn child. Would you let her? He's like, no. I said, "Case okay, same. And why not? He said because you can't kill the newborn child for that reason. We can we should help her, but not by killing the child. I said I agree. So, my question would be, if we can't kill a born child in the case of sexual assault, even if it's really traumatizing the mother, why should we kill the exact same child, the exact same little boy before he's born for the exact same reason? We should help the mom. But should we help her by ending another human being's life? So we make common ground. You can use an analogy. So a born child who's conceived through sexual assault and is impacting the mother. Um, And then ask the question, if we can't kill a born child in that scenario, why can we kill the exact same child before he's born?
0: Yeah, that, that really shows that you have a heart as well, you know, that you care about that situation. I remember uh, and a former intern, I had a conversation with him at the end of the internship, and he said before he did the internship, he, you know, did a lot of combat ground, you know, having conversations with people on all sorts of controversial topics. He said, um, I, you know, I just created combat ground, but he said the important thing, the big thing that he learned from the internship is really creating that common ground, showing the people that you're talking to that you do have a heart, that you care about them, you care about their situation, you care about the people that they love uh at the same time that you care about the preborn children that's really really good totally and and like from from
2: my experience as well nine times out of ten that example is going to resonate deeply with the person that you're talking to one out of ten conversations sometimes that i have i find that people will kind of doubt the how reasonable that analogy is of like, oh, nobody would ever carry that child childhood term. Nobody's ever going to say like, oh, I can do this and then decide not to. Everyone knows that they can't handle that. And so sometimes I'll, I'll tweak the analogy into a story, actually, that I encountered a, a beautiful mother that I've met up in Edmonton, actually, a couple of years ago doing activism. And she had two young children and had recently gotten out of an abusive relationship. You see her, her children who are now I don't know, six and four, I think, Um, she had gotten out of this abusive relationship that the abuse hadn't begun until the, the children were born. Shortly after her younger son was born, her husband lost his job, became an alcoholic, turned to drugs, and became abusive, became violently abusive. And so these children, which she had brought into the world, quote unquote, in love, in a happy, devoted marriage, Now, when she looked at her children, she was no longer reminded of that happy, beautiful marriage that she had brought these children into the world through, but rather an abusive, violent, um, terrible partner. And so thankfully she was able to get safe, um, get away from that abusive partner. And yet she shared with me of like, Cam, this is the story people need to know. That yeah, sometimes when I look at my children, I'm reminded of, my ex-husband. And there was actually a period of time, six months after she got out of that relationship, that those children were actually placed in temporary adoptive homes, in, in foster care homes, as she processed the trauma. And once she was able to personally care for those children again, return to her home, she was in a very good space by the time I talked to her in Edmonton. Um, but that just goes to show that the conversations that we have time and again will demonstrate um, that these real life circumstances can be navigated, right? These real life circumstances, as you grow in confidence, as you grow in experience, your ability to respond to even the 10%, even the 1%, even the one in the million people who are going to find some kind of a, a hole or a gap in the analogy that you make. Vanessa's analogy, like I said, works with 9 out of 10 people, if not 99 out of 100 people. And yet, as you get more comfortable, as you have more and more experience, you will be able to even respond to those people who that initial
0: um, analogy may not resonate with. In episode two, we talked about the human rights argument. Today, we're talking about common ground analogy question. For those of you who are listening and really want to know how you can equip yourself to be ready for conversations about abortion, wherever you might be, perhaps it's the grocery store, perhaps it's at a restaurant, perhaps it's in the barber's chair, um, on the bus, wherever it might be, uh, there's an an opportunity to talk to people about abortion. If you really want to be ready, these are the things you need to know. Uh, I suggest practicing them, thinking about different situations that that people might bring up, and then practicing using common ground analogy question so that you can be prepared to talk to others about abortion. At this point we're going to turn a little bit we're going to introduce uh, one other guy to the podcast to the episode. Kim, could you introduce your colleague or our colleague Alex? For sure. Like fine poetry, we're going to loop
2: back around to where we began this episode with of talking about the power of images we talk a lot about the conversations we have and people walking towards the pro-life worldview change of mind change of heart we know that that's how we transform the nation and yet my colleague alex had an incredible experience um this past summer actually in in 2019 so about a year ago now um in which he encountered An incredible, incredible transformation in somebody's life. And I want to invite him on. He is the director of our internships here in Calgary. He has um, equipped leaders of the pro-life movement for the last several years here in Calgary. He's an incredible guy. He does a ton of activism. He's got a ton of wisdom. And I want to invite him to share the story that he had the great privilege of being witness to last year during the internship.
3: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to share this story. It's, uh, it's a very amazing and encouraging story. And in hindsight, I can, I can see God's providence that I just so, as we call it, happened to meet this lady just at the right time. So last summer, uh, 2019, I was out postcarding with the interns. And for your listeners who aren't familiar with the postcard project, um, we pretty much go from house to house with big stacks of postcards. We call them postcards. They're really pieces of literature. And on the inside, they have pictures of, babies who have been killed by abortion. And then on the, backs we, on the back, we have kind of some, some of the main arguments against abortion, making the case for the pro-life position. So the goal is just to deliver these house to house, reach a ton of people that way. And so I was postcarding out with the interns one morning on a Thursday and came down this one row of houses. And just as I was coming to the last house on the row, a door opened and a lady came out. So I handed her the postcard as I usually do and I say, hello, can I give this to you? We're raising awareness about abortion. And she looked at it and she said, is this pro-life? And I said, yes, yeah, this is, this is pro-life. Um, we're raising awareness about abortion. And she says, oh, oh, th- this is really good. And then she proceeded to tell me a story. She said that she had actually received one of these the year before. So that would have been 2018. And from what I can figure out, it was also during the internship in 2018. So 2018, she was walking along in her neighborhood, and one of these was blowing along on the ground. It just happened to land on her foot. So she picked it up and looked at the images on the inside. And they are awful images. They show a child who's been killed and uh, by abortion. And it just broke her heart. And she said it made her cry and cry. Um, but she took it home and decided to keep the postcard. And um, several months after that, so this must have been right around the turn of the year, 2018, 2019, um, she became pregnant. And her partner did not want to have the child. So he was trying to pressure her to have an abortion. And her doctor was also trying to pressure her to have an abortion. The doctor was saying something like, you know, this child probably has Down syndrome. I forget, 80 or 90% chance. So both her doctor and her partner were trying to pressure her to have an abortion. And she, she said, um, you know, she, those pictures, just that gave her the courage to stand up to them and to say no. And when I talked to her, so last summer, 2019, when I met her, um, she was three months pregnant. And she it was amazing. She As I was talking to her. I could barely believe what I was hearing. And she pointed to her, her pregnant belly. And she said, this makes a difference. It saves lives. And that was just incredible to be able to be a part of that. um, And to, and to get to witness that. And so my wife and I have stayed in touch with her. And um, yeah, several months after that, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And we're still in touch with her to this day. And we still have a good relationship with her. And it's just really amazing. Nobody talked to her. There wasn't even the arguments on the back. She just saw those pictures and she knew she couldn't do that to her kid, despite the fact that her partner was even threatening to dump her if she didn't have an abortion. And seeing what would have happened to her kid if she had done that gave her the courage to stand up. And now here we are and her little baby boy is doing great and we're still in touch with her. And it's just amazing to get to see um, the work being blessed that way.
2: I think that this testimony really speaks to the heart of why each and every one of us are involved in the pro-life movement right? Like Peter, you, me, Vanessa, you as well. I can't think of a single person who ever got involved in the pro-life movement because there's a fat paycheck coming at the end of the day. I can't think of a single person who got involved. Certainly, I've never seen a fat paycheck at the end of the day. I, I can't think of a single person who gets involved for their own sake. We're involved in this movement because we care about the lives of concrete humans not made out of concrete but humans that are real live humans and so as much as we can talk about the importance of changing minds and saving lives because like jonathan said last week we are all pre-abortive we can all be involved in an abortion decision in the future what really helps me get up in the morning and i'm sure the same goes for you peter and vanessa um, is knowing that there are literally human beings living today that are alive because their parents came in contact with our projects, with the reality of what abortion will do to their preborn child. And in seeing that they came to reject that choice. And so I I think that's such a beautiful example from Alex and something that drives each and every one of us at CCBR and I hope encourages you at home or wherever you may be towards further pro-life involvement.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great. It's such a blessing to be able to meet the children that were saved because of the work that you did. Uh, truly, truly amazing and really does light the fire and keep you going. Well, we're getting towards the end of our podcast, of our episode. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the work that you have done on the streets and continue to do. And we are really hoping to have you on at some point in the future.
1: Sounds good, Peter. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, everyone, thank you once again for joining. If you're not involved fighting abortion in your community, we encourage you to get involved. You can find local groups that are doing activism near you on our website at endthekilling.ca. Uh, that's CCBR's website, endthekilling.ca. Um, one of the one of the things we didn't talk about in this episode, uh, but there's a, a phenomenal resource on pro-life apologetics, an extremely comprehensive resource that comes from The decade of experience, the many interns that we've had, many staff members that are on the streets, it comes from all that experience of what we've learned talking to people about abortion, what we've learned about the most effective way, the most winsome way to have conversations with people of all ages, of, of, uh, you know, all different stripes, of all different social classes about abortion. And we really invite you to check out that book. It's called Stuck, a Comprehensive Resort. No, It's called Stuck, A Comprehensive Guide to Answering Tough Questions About Abortion by Justina Van Manen. You can find it in our shop at prolifeguys.com backslash shop, or you can find it at thebridgehead.ca backslash shop. That's Stuck, A Comprehensive Guide to Answering Tough Questions About Abortion. Do get it. Phenomenal resource. If I ask Cam to share a little bit about what he thinks about that book, he will go on forever. But Cam, two sentences about that book. Oh man, two sentences. This doesn't count as one of those sentences.
2: I've read a lot of books about the pro life movement. I've read Pro Life Answers to Pro Choice Questions by um, Randy Alcorn. I've read Scott Klusendorf. I've read Stephanie Gray. I've read so many of these incredible resources. Justina brings it all together. Like Peter said, that, that she brings it all together in a way that is relatable, in a way that is manageable, in a way that you can fill this book with tabs. Check it out. Great reference book.
0: Sweet. Cam, you also had an announcement, uh, an event that's happening soon.
2: I sure do. So for our listeners, I hope that you're interested in meeting more of the incredible team that works for CCBR. We have an incredible team spread across the country. And one of our one of our shining stars, I'm going to say, Blaze Elaine, the, the incredible author, co-author of our book, um, The Guide to Discussing Assisted Suicide, He is our Eastern Outreach Director. He is an incredible pro-life man. I'm sure that we're gonna get him on this show at some point because he is both very manly and very pro-life. He's actually speaking at an event hosted by Allies and the Back Porch Ministries, groups based out of Edmonton, incredible groups that we in the Calgary office have partnered with on several occasions. They do phenomenal work, counseling mothers and fathers out of abortion. They are doing a, a presentation their event is called The Meaning of Mercy, and their keynote speaker is Blaze Elaine. If you want to check out Blaze Elaine, one of our colleagues, and his incredible content on how to have compelling conversations about assisted suicide, a different, but I'm sure many people will understand a related um, issue. You can check it out. It is happening on August 28th, 6 p.m. Mountain Time is when people are, are welcome to gather together. 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time is when Blaze will launch into his incredible coverage of that presentation. You can register online at www.alliesevent.ca, and it's, it's by donation. So check it out. A wonderful ministry, but also check out Blaze Lane. He's an incredible guy. I know that he's done a lot of mentorship for each of the three of us. I know that Peter and Vanessa have the great privilege of working with him most of the year in Toronto. And so, check out that event. Check out Blaze's content. Check out Allies on the Back Porch and their event again on August twenty eighth, six thirty p.m. Mountain Time is when Blaze will be hitting the stage, as it were. Um, You can find them online,
0: AlliesEvent.ca. Beauty. Thank you so much. Thanks to everyone who's listening to this episode. Stay safe, stay strong, and we will see you on episode number five. Take care, everyone.